Welcome to the Drive Able Podcast, where each episode you get to listen to two of Australia's leading professionals in the area of driving and community mobility for people with disabilities. In each episode, they interview drivers, carers, and industry experts and share the insider's guide to driving with a disability. Here are your hosts, Brad and Ollie. G'day and welcome to the Drive Able podcast. I'm Brad Williams here and over there is Ali Akbarium. Today we are talking to Lisa and Alex from mydriveschool.com. They've developed a driving simulator for learning to drive that everybody can afford. We're excited to talk to them about how we can use this simulator for people with disabilities. Ali, you ready for this great episode? Yeah, I'm ready. Let's get into it. Hi everybody, I'm really excited to get into today's interview, but before we get started, we just want to do a quick shout out to our sponsors who make this show possible, Mobility Engineering and Williams OT. This show takes time and money to put together and we're forever thankful for their passion to our industry. Okay, enough with the business. Let's get into the interviews. Today we have Alex, who is the leader of Partnerships and Culture at My Drive School, and Lisa Scaife, who is the director and CEO and developer of My Drive School. Thanks very much for joining us today, uh, Alex and Lisa. We're going to start with the first question. Can you introduce yourself and give us a little bit of a background about My Drive School? Who wants to go first? I'm happy to go. I'm, um, I'm Lisa Scaife. I'm the CEO and founder of My Drive School. Um, my drive school is a, a simulation game to teach people how to drive online. I um, have a background. I've worked for more than 20 years in professional motorsport. I was involved in a fatality when I was 22 and I have teenage sons. So um, when I started to look at and realise the road um, statistics around the road toll, it really, um, it, it was an eye opener. It was a, a massive eye opener for me. So I went about researching what are the issues around road trauma and how we can do something about it. And it turns out that more than in the first three years of licensure, more than you know, up to 95% of fatalities are caused by human error. So we need to fix the driver. And that's obviously with my background, I thought I can do a reasonable job of that. So um, with all the research, we started looking up simulators and gaming and all sorts of things. And simulators are great in terms of their, you know, efficacy in, you know, and output, but you can't get the people to the simulators or the simulators to the people. They're cost and resource prohibitive. So we found a, um, you know, I, I found a case study on Gran Turismo or a program they did called GT Academy, which was um, an online simulation game you know, well, Gran Turismo, and they got 43,000 people that did this program because the prize pool was a whole year in an open wheeler around Europe. So an amazing prize. So anyway, 43,000 people all did this. Um, they got the top 20, took them to Brands Hatch with, um, you know, with Johnny Herbert and a couple of other ex-F1 drivers. And the young guy that ended up winning it was a 19-year-old Spaniard called Lucas Ordonez, and he only last year finished his full-time racing career um, as a professional driver. And But prior to that, he'd never, ever 
prior to getting to Brands Hatch in the first place, he'd never ever sat his butt in a real race car. So he'd learned all these cognitive skills and racecraft and um, everything on a flat screen with a portable steering wheel and pedal set. And when I realised that, I went, well, if people can learn those sort of high order cognitive skills, I can teach people how to drive online. It's safe, it's scalable, it's cost and time effective. And that's where we went. So, you know, it took nearly seven years to actually develop the program. Um, we went through many iterations trying to get it absolutely right. And um, we launched at the 2019 Australian Grand Prix and we won the Australasian Serious Games Congress the same year. Um, and since then, uh, you know, I mean, that year we got into about 20 schools, but our, high, our um, early adopters have been either private schools or special needs schools. But uh, another day when I was actually at a drive, at a, um, at a school, we were doing quite a large group of kids. And um, there would have been probably 30 in the room and everybody, they all do it on their own laptops and everybody's got a steering wheel pedal set each. And you can always tell the kids that have done a bit of gaming or, you know, pretty good. Anyway, there was this kid right up the back um, and everybody else had nearly finished and started packing up. And then they started to crowd around this kid. And, you know, I sort of walked up to have a look and he was doing the slalom. And in our slalom, we don't, it's the only exercise in the program where we don't actually have a, a speed limit. And we do that for a reason because we want to teach you know, vehicle dynamics and stability. And, and at a certain speed, the car will not turn in. So, you know, they're good things, especially for young boys to learn. Um, so, you know, because we actually, our motto now is we, we want people to make their mistakes online, not on road. So anyway, so I said to him, oh, you're doing a great job. I said, you know, how fast can you do that slalom? He said, oh, you know, 58 or something. And I said, well, my 12-year-old can do it at 70. And he's like, oh, and he got really And I was sort of laughing, just having a giggle with him. But then the teacher afterwards got me aside and said, I've known that kid for six years. And she said, um, he's um, got ADHD and I've never, ever seen him sit still for more than 15 minutes. And I've never seen him so engaged. I wish I had a video to be able to show this to his mum. Um, and he was just absolutely over the moon. And that was probably the first time I sort of saw firsthand the engagement levels and, and what have you of people, especially kids with autism or on the spectrum at all, and how they, they just get right into it and, and, and love it. Like, I mean, that was, you know, that's probably, and I've done other programs in special needs schools and just their enjoyment engagement levels are, are amazing. And that's, I like to give those kids an opportunity that maybe other people wouldn't. You can't firsthand put them straight in the car and see if they're going to be any good. This is a great tool for people to be able to go use it as a test or an assessment tool to gauge their capacity to be able to learn to drive. Yeah. Uh, look, uh, Lisa, I can I can speak firsthand as well uh, at, as an OT. This tool, uh, the My Drive School tool, has been excellent for being able to test the road environment in a safe, safe way. So um, you can even do it before you get your license, which is awesome. So 
traditional way is to get your L's and then go into a car. And a lot of people get overwhelmed in that type of scenario. But what we've found is that before they get their license, before they get their L's, they can test out whether driving is a good fit for them in a, in a safe and relatable area. So can I, can I um, interject before we go further for people listening and people like myself who have never had engagement with it, can you explain how it works and what it is? Oh, sure. Sorry. Um, my drive school, it's a simulation is it, is program. Is it a game or is it like, do you use a, a steering wheel? Like how does it Yeah, work? so it's a steering wheel that you use that literally you can buy from JB Hi-Fi or Harvey Norman off the shelf steering wheel yep. that you can use with your laptop or PC. No, no Macs, gaming doesn't work on Macs. Yep. Um, and literally you plug your steering wheel into your computer and this program is designed specifically for pre-learner drivers. So it was always designed to bridge the gap between theory and practical. I mean, whether or not people, you know, are impaired or, or, or not, nobody should have to get in the car with somebody who's never, ever driven before. Yeah, yeah. This is actually just to show them how much lock to put on, basic road rules, you know, remind them to put their blinkers on. And it's a series of graduated modules and exercises that are all pass-fail. So they get, you know, effectively a little bit harder, a little bit harder. And then we've got a lot of traffic in it. So, and there's a lot of artificial intelligence. So every time they play, it's different. So it's not straight rote learning. Is it like a a game or is it more like an instructional kind of like thing? Okay. So it is an instructional educational tool, but I call it a game. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because, I mean, it is. What the whole idea around it is... I want people to enjoy it and they think they're having fun, but you know what? Incidentally, they're actually learning all the road rules and learning all the in-cabin cognitive skills they need to be able to learn to drive. Okay, now that that explains it really well. So so it's kind of like it reminded me of me being 12-year-olds in the 80s when there wasn't that many people around and driving around with my dad in the car park type thing. Yep. Pre-driving. But online. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because like back then there wasn't that many people around. So, uh, you know, that's kind of what you did. But now it's so many more people, it's probably a bit harder to do stuff like that. And shopping centres are open 24 hours, so you can't actually go... Yeah, yeah, they used to be finished, uh, closed after work, you know. So. Yeah, everyone was down there on a Sunday with their L plates and they yeah. you can't do that anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ali, to add to that, to add to Lisa's point um, on the subject of it being a, a game or not, um, it, it's interesting because, you know, sometimes maybe the idea of a game trivialises, for some people might trivialise something, and I guess that's where, you know, winning the, the Best Serious Games Award that kind of speaks a bit to that point. It's a serious game, but um, we talk about it being a, a, a Gen Z, um, you know, it's for, for pre-learners or people around the learner stage and it's using a medium that they're familiar with, which is gaming. So it's immediately accessible. Like, oh yeah, it's a um, steering wheel and pedal set that I would otherwise use for Gran Turismo or something else. So it's very relatable. Um, but then the messages they learn along the way directly relate to what they need to know on the road. Um, and it's, it's not about going faster. It's not about going faster. It's more about accuracy um, sure. yeah. and and steering accuracy and pedal yep. control about how absolutely because uh, it's it's not just press the button as hard as you can and mm. steer to full lock to steer to full lock to go around corners. It's actually learning to adjust your pressure, adjust your uh, steering control uh, wow. in a in an environment that is yeah 
if you're and acceleration a, control. So you're not yeah. looking at the speedo the whole time. You're actually learning how to monitor your, your speed at all times. Yeah, okay. How many, um, how many people are using it at the moment? Um, well, I mean, we've probably, we've had over 8,000 people through, um, right. you know, that have trialled it. Um, and, you know, at any one point, we've probably got 1,500 licences. And do you guys roll it out like through schools and stuff or? Um... So that was always our objective. Uh, and that's, um, that was my passion market. And it probably will always still be my passion market, that 15 to 18 year old cohort, because, you know, that's the best way to improve road trauma generically. You know, if we can get the, um, rather than people doing 120 hours with their parents that have got 20 or 30 hours of bad habits, 20 or 30 years of bad habits and they're teaching their kids um I tend to think you know there's better ways to do it um so if we can get the young ones if we train them a whole lot better you know in x amount of years there'll be a lot more a lot better drivers on the road but in and obviously we've had COVID in between that and so Alex and I were looking at different markets and they're obviously disability inclusion all those markets have just um jumped at it um you know we've had a lot of allied health professionals using the program as a training and assessment tool um we've had you know alex even talking to to jails for um you know we're looking at um developing specialist indigenous programs we're, we're going getting into all these different markets that wasn't necessarily what it was originally um, designed for, but it is perfect for those markets. We didn't, you know, cold, so culturally and linguistically disadvantaged, perfect. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's lots of other areas where I didn't really see that need because I wasn't in that space. But now we are, it's just getting bigger. Yeah, I think, um, well, on a side note, speaking of COVID, um, I've noticed maybe even you could have something for people that have forgotten how to drive because it seems like there's a lot of people that have forgotten how to drive <laughs> for the last two years or they're just out of practice and they're really struggling or haven't, haven't lost the confidence so that could actually be something marketed but um but uh aside from that um yeah i think actually for disability i don't know how big it is within the industry but get, given the conversations we've had with some of the people that we've interviewed that you know they're talking about it takes a little while to get used to those kind of road environments and um this is a fantastic way to do it without having too much risk and also um, you know, not having to pay so many hundreds of hours, dollars per hour for driving lessons and, you know, Absolutely. Um, whatever it is. Not, not to say that they shouldn't do that, Brad, you know, I'm not trying to put that down, but it's, it's no, kind of like, no, no, it's an addition to replace any yeah. driver training, not at all. It's yeah. used as a precursor before they get in the car and a supplementary tool. So when driving instructors actually get in the car, they're doing things probably a lot more important with them than do you know what I mean? Like they're actually yeah, yeah. working yeah, like, with them a lot like more Brad than their face they, skills. Like Brad has said in the past with some other guests that we've spoken to, they've sometimes been stuck and just doing kind of emotional management, you know, because of the um, environment. And um, and that's a huge waste of someone's potential NDIS funds. Mm. Um, so it would be good to, you know, minimise that, I guess. And this seems like a great tool to be able to just get people a bit more comfortable with that environment. So uh, Ali, on, on that and... and um, 
One, one example that I find a really powerful one, there's a, a section of the program where you come up to a T intersection, the user comes up to a T intersection and they have to wait for a break in the traffic. And because it uses artificial intelligence, it's not a rote learning thing. It's not like someone that's had multiple plays will say, oh, I'll wait for the orange car and then I've got 10 seconds. It's different all the time. And uh, when I talk to people that have used it with a client or when you watch people doing it, sometimes they become impatient, which... I would say is a good thing because um, that's a real world situation coming up to a T intersection and it's busy and it might be a little while before you get that break in traffic sooner or later you're going to have to make a decision and that's where I think perhaps um, and, and Brad interested to hear your, your mm -hmm. thoughts as the OT here um, it's great where an OT can look and just assess what they're like with their level of patience at a T intersection and I think surely that's absolutely something you want to be simulated perhaps before you're really in a car and then it might be we have to turn around and go home or um, and particularly with um, clients with different degrees of autism that comes up a lot like it's a bit too hard it's or it's, they do it easily what a great way to assess without putting them in danger if perhaps they're not going to be able to perform those higher order skills on the road which as we know all of us that drive you, you need to be able to do that so that's where it functions really well as an assessment tool first and then as a training tool once they show some promise i suppose repeated plays with a different ai in a different setting if they can then navigate through that on a simulator i just think what a great way for them to learn in a safe environment before actually getting out in the car yeah look i, I can talk to that with i don't know if people know or not but we've got one of these uh, simulator packages that we utilize for for clients i can talk firsthand of a client this week where we've decided that driving is not a good match um, for him at this stage because of the level of multitasking that's involved with driving. So pedal control, steering control, and like you're talking about, Alex, the, the ability to process the amount of information you need to as a driver, as in looking to the right, looking to the left, waiting, uh, and then being able to initiate what you need to do to, to do the next bit. And um, the, the level of concentration to be able to do that at this stage we've decided that it's not a good fit at this at the moment as a as a 15 coming to 16 year old and that we need to probably give it a, a few more years where we settle into the next part of life um, and then see if we, we've developed a little bit more ability to do that uh, at this higher level of of cognitive functioning and it was a great way to do that rather than pushing someone through through the learner process to be able to learn all the road rules, to be able to um, then sit in a car, which is extremely overwhelming for some people um, mm. because there's a massive risk involved in it. Um, mm. Yeah, the, the, the safe environment of sitting in an office, but it is still relatively real life it, it is you can relate it to what you've seen as a as a passenger in a car um, it is a it's an environment that is something that can be utilized the ot can look over the back from my point of view the occupational therapist can can um, be basically a backseat driver like we are in our assessments but watching how they interact with with the environment uh, that's on the simulator um, but the one thing that i've found so good about this program is the entry level costs for, for people compared to the simulators that are out there for, for multiple thousands of dollars. Um, and you need special programs and special computers and gaming cards and in you, you name it, you need 
the whole system for thousands and thousands of dollars. What we've found is that this is really accessible and something that people can do at home. Did you want to talk about about that and then about maybe how it's is it can it be funded by the NDIS as an example? Is this something that we can? Yeah, that was something I was going to ask. I'll just put a couple of points in there if you could cover them as well. I was thinking, um, one, yeah, how how are you guys charging? Is it like subscription or do you buy something? Do you need an active internet connection and what level of internet connection? Um, and yeah, like how does it roll out? Do you go to companies, individuals? Okay, we're looking at rolling it out through. You know, I mean, we go B2B plus B2C. B2C for, you know, directly to the consumer, um, it is we have um, NDIS packages that are fully rebatable through the participants' um, core support package as an assistive technology for specialised driver training. So we have two different packages. There's a 395 and I think it's a 695 and that just depends on the different steering wheels. One's got uh, force feedback and one hasn't. The force feedback one is a, you know, a lot better. You know, we're comparing a Toyota to a Lamborghini. <laughs> and so it includes I'll, I'll, the hardware, this 395. You guys supply the hardware. Yes, and that's yeah, got a 12 month license to go with that. And that's for the B2C market directly. So we say to um, occupational therapists, um, you know, you should recommend that your patients actually do the program at home um, so they can actually be practicing and what have you. But then we have um, enterprise solutions for occupational therapists, depending upon how many patients they see um, when they're using it as a tool um, in their offices for multiple patients. Yeah. Um, I'll just talk about that, about the different steering wheels. Can I, if anyone that's listening to this, the, the, the difference in steering wheels does make a difference um, for, for real life scenarios we've found. Um, the, the, some of the cheapest steering wheels that um, are maybe available are sprung loaded. So you let go and it comes back to center where the other one, you have to steer it back to center, which is a bit more like a real life car scenario. So, so we've found that the steering wheel um, does make a difference, but you know, if 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 uh, finances are an issue for somebody, uh, they don't have NDIS funding. But if you do have NDIS funding, the the difference in steering wheel, uh, if you're looking to learn to drive, especially for somebody that is looking with autism and they want it relatable to to the more relatable to a real car scenario that that higher level steering wheel does make a difference. So from an OT's point of view, if, you, if NDIS can cover it, or uh, if the finances can cover it, the, the steering wheel that gives you proper feedback makes a massive difference. I would, I would absolutely concur with that, yeah. I'll, I'll add something to, to both your point, Lisa, and, and, and Brad, yours also on that. So the program, as Lisa had said, is done on a PC or a laptop, and there are some system requirements there, and um, they're clearly stated there on, on the website. Um, my drive school um, is something that we want as many people as possible to be able to access. So obviously simulations can be, my drive school can be done in, in, in VR and all that sort of thing, but we wanted it to be delivered quite simply and then be accessible to, to anyone. Um, 
So it, it's, it's that mix of the highest fidelity we could possibly get to real driving in a simulator, but then something that's easily deployable and usable on most people's sort of PC laptop they have at home. Um, the steering wheel pedal set comes in a box that can arrive at a residential address, it can arrive at a business. So I'd say it's that, it's that spot there where as real as we can get it, but also not something that requires complex setup and lots of those other things that would make it not, not available to everyone. So people that are on the NDIS that have driving as a goal, as Lisa said, they can have it sent to their home. They or their parent or guardian themselves can set it up and they can get some good hours in practicing that in a really safe environment. Um, wherever they're based. And Alex, you were suggesting that to me uh, in another conversation that we had prior to this, that you might be doing some research in this area with, um, with how the simulator fits with, with disability. Yeah, absolutely. So Lisa and I are talking about this sort of thing all the time, and we do have um, the results of our initial trials where it was independently assessed by professional assessors and uh, participants of my drive school uh, rated 48% more competent and 17% less anxious, um, which is fantastic. And you might say the competency, well, 48% more competent, but what we're finding is 17% less anxious for a lot of people being anxious about driving um, is a real prohibiting factor. And I guess in a post-COVID environment too, where some people have lost interest about maybe getting their license or they've lost momentum there, not being able to get their 120 hours. But, but back to your initial point, Brad, ongoing, the feedback we all get is very encouraging. And we're in discussions with um, some universities about um, how we would set that up and do some more formalised trials around people before and after doing my drive school. Um, because some of the learnings there, it can be quite different for each individual, but um, they're not going to put themselves at risk while they're doing it. Uh, they're going to learn a lot more than just, I don't know, say watching a video or seeing a sign about not speeding if they experience that. Um, so yeah, we're currently doing that. We're in discussions with people because it's pretty clear that there's a very different effect after people have done the program. There's also some, um, some research in a document that I did quite some time ago. Um, I think this one's out of America, and they did a randomised clinical trial from um, to determine the effectiveness of simulator training on driving performance um, with clients with neurological impairment, mm -hmm. citing 86% of participants passed their driving test after completing simulation training, as opposed to 17% who didn't. It's amazing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One thing I um one thing I thought of when we were first starting this um uh, this podcast when you were talking about the program was uh, when I was younger I always remember a story a teacher told me about how um these couple of basketballers were practicing playing basketball um and practicing shooting hoops and one of them was basically instructed to go home and um just do nothing and the other one was instructed to go home and practice in their mind. So, so just picture yourself doing it. Don't actually do it. Just picture yourself doing it. And that person came back and was like 50% better the next day. Mm. Um, so it just shows you that um, it's, it's much more than just, you know, you know, being on the road. There's a lot of processing, I guess, that you just got to get used to. And that this helps with that. Um, and I think particularly for that, this space and the disability, it's really exciting um, to have such a tool available. So Yeah, absolutely. It, and, and I've seen it My son even, and, you know, yeah. my son's had a fair bit of 
you know, experience in carts and all sorts of things, you know, without background. But he's got his L's. And I remember the first time we went out with him, um, you know, he was like, oh, mum, I had no idea you had all this stuff at the same time. Yeah. And you just go, oh, my God, every person has to go through that. With or without impairments, that's still a really difficult task. Yeah. And you cannot expect people to be able to read a book or watch a video or something and then miraculously I can drive a car. Yeah. Um, yeah. It just doesn't work like that. Yeah. Uh, Ali, okay. something, something that you said there, that the very first thing that people do, just to, the, the people watching this to give them some idea to a picture of it, the first thing you do is you've got a speed limit of 40 kilometres an hour, so it's really basic stuff. Um, you bring the car up over 30, hold it between 30 and 40, so you can be just under 40, that's the limit, and you come to a safe stop when you approach the stop sign. And nearly anyone that does it um, comes up too slowly. Um, if they come up too quickly, it's not like in a racing game where you don't, you don't really care, where you don't have stop signs. And it's amazing how many people stop a bit shy and then will look at me and say, do I need it? I said, well, yeah, you need to drive a bit further. And it, and it sort of exaggerates the learning. And we're all sitting there thinking, this is such a simple task. But I think anytime we're learning something new, you kind of want to exaggerate the, the motion to then make it natural. And Ali, what you said about imagining shooting the hoops, like just being overly conscious about 40 kilometer speed limit, stop sign. Um, and I've seen over time how important that is for people to really absorb that learning. And it's yeah. great if they stop a bit shy, then cool. You did rather than do that on the road, there was a little bit less stress or coming up too quickly and stopping at the last minute. That's not appropriate on the road either. Um, and your example of just visualizing doing it then thinking visually about what that experience was, have them do that here before they go out there. Yeah, um, yeah. And, and as simple as it is, I don't think it's too simple for most people because very rarely do people get it spot on first go. Yeah, and no, I think it's a, it's a great idea. I mean, it, it would be better than having like what I did, your mum screaming and shouting every time you go in the car because you're going to ruin the family car, you know, so yeah. adding to the stress. So, yeah. uh, so I think this is great because she doesn't have to sit there and scream and shout that you're going to ruin the car, you know. So Yeah, absolutely. Hey, I can't believe that we've gone past 20 minutes already. Oh, sorry. Uh, time flies when yeah. we're having fun. And look, there is so much more to learn about My Drive School. Um, but before we wind up, uh, we want to thank our guests um, for coming on today, Alex and Lisa. Thank you very much. But we can't let you go yet. We asked one final question of all of our podcast uh, guests, and that's uh, what have you done in a car that is something special to you? We know that it's more than just getting from A to B. What's a memory that you've done in a car that means something special to you? Or uh, what's something that you've done that nobody else knows about? Uh, Lisa, should we start with you? Oh, um, okay. I didn't okay probably my I've had lots of obviously experiences in in cars and stuff because coming from a racing background um but probably one of the best ones I had for years um maybe some of your clients might know Scott, of Scott McLaughlin mm. um he's a he's in the states now doing IndyCar um but he was driving with my husband's race team and um it was his last um drive with us and he said, Lace, Lace, do you want to come for a hot lap with me? And I got in the passenger seat and did a hot lap with Scotty. And usually drivers, when they do a hot lap with a guest, they're probably two or three seconds a lap off what they, you know, what their real race time is. Um, 
Scotty was one tenth of a second off because he was really trying to scare me. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. Yeah, and that was his last drive. Did you say, Lisa? That was his last <laughs> drive with Volvo. Was, was, was that was that Rory's and why it was his last drive? <laughs> he scared you too no. much. <laughs> and Alex, what's what's something that you've done in a car that's uh, that we know that's not just getting from here to there? What's what's something special about cars for you? Sure. Well, look, my my fondest memory undoubtedly is. Um, I had a red VL Commodore as my first car. It was my pride and joy. And I was pretty popular amongst my mates for, for that. And I remember taking it down the Great Ocean Road by myself on a Sunday, not long after getting my driver's license. And I'm near the beach now and I've loved the beach for a long time. And taking the car down there and, and the sense of freedom that I had with that, thinking I was pretty cool in that car. And I still love doing that drive to this day. And it sort of, I sort of fell in love with that coastline from that. Um, and that's still something I really enjoy doing to, to this day. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, and it's, Thanks very much for sharing those. Hey, uh, we can't thank you enough for coming on to today's uh, podcast episode for us. Um, if people want to know more about the My Drive School Simulator program, where, where uh, we can see behind your head there, uh, Lisa, but where should people go to check out more information? Where could they find out if it's um, the right thing for them? www.mydriveschool.com. Yeah. Excellent. And what we'll do is we'll put a link to that in the show notes. So make sure that you go and check out the show notes. Uh, and if you've got a question for Alex or Lisa about it, um, head over to the Facebook page, Drive Able Podcast. Head over to the Facebook page at, uh, and put in your questions uh, after this. And uh, we'll make sure that we pass them on to Alex and Lisa. And uh, they can hopefully get back to you in regards to that. Um, and all we can say is thanks very much for joining us. Thanks, thanks for having us, Brad. Brad, Ali, really enjoyed Thanks, it. Ali. Thank really you. All right. So stick around, folks. As we do every episode, Ali and I are going to come back and reflect on our top three takeaways from the interview. So stick around uh, for our analysis of the interview. But again, thanks very much, Alex and Lisa. Thank you. Wait, wait a minute, sorry. <laughs> on my screen i was like oh wait a minute i don't have this thing ready <laughs> all right ready again three two one all right welcome back in this section we bring you our expert analysis and top three takeaways from the interviews that is for this episode this is where Alec, brad and i provide more than 30 years of joint experience in the industry helping people with disabilities to drive and get out in the community in a safe and meaningful way so brad learning number one what do you reckon all right. Well, huge thanks to Alex and Lisa. The best thing about my drive school from my experience is how accessible this program is. Um, the, the cost of, of 395, I think it is for the basic program up to 695. If you want the, the top level steering wheel, which we, as I mentioned in the podcast, we recommend because of the proper feedback it gets, but the, the fact that it's, covered by NDIS under a core support if you've got a disability is just wonderful news for people that really want to test out driving and build capacity um, before getting in a in a car environment it is so accessible to people and that's the number one thing that I that we wanted to talk about here yeah and, and just before we came on Brad and I were talking about other simulators that are on the market that 
like for example, myself being um, a, a distributor of products, we actually sell simulators in Australia ourselves. Um, the first one that we sell is just shy of thirty thousand dollars, and the yeah. other one is just shy of ninety thousand yeah. um, dollars. We've never we've sold one, I think. So the point is, is that um, then they're not accessible. You know, like whenever yeah. we got told these prices, we just thought, who's going to buy these? You know, they, they're just not accessible. So as soon as I heard that, I, it's just it really makes me excited that people can actually have access to that. Yeah, the only people that could afford the other ones were universities or or big programs where this is pitched at the individual level and the difference that another thing that we can point out here the difference between gran turismo or whatever gaming thing that you want to do whether it's playstation or xbox or or whatever it might be there's a massive difference in regards to the goals that it's trying to do so don't think that going to get an xbox and and getting gran turismo is the same thing um it's it's not it's the the goals that are set in this simulator are more about ticking off achievements that are safe rather than going faster take this corner faster leave breaking to the last minute it's actually encouraging the opposite of that which is early breaking accurate steering not running off into the sand and going over the ripple strips and all that kind of stuff. This is actually trying to get accurate and, and be patient. Uh, speaking again from my own personal experience, do not use those games because I grew up on those games. I actually grew up on Grand Theft Auto. Yep. And my first 10 years I lost of my driving um, experience, I lost my license five times. Yeah. So, um, so, and that was, and I truly attribute that because the way I was driving, like I was in Grand Theft Auto and I was yep. using Grand Theft Auto all through my high school, you know? So, um, so if, yeah, there you go. If, don't if don't you, use those games. <laughs> if you watched me on the podcast on YouTube, if you're watching this on YouTube, I put my hand up when Alex was talking about, you know, learning to stop at the stop line. I did that. I, I struggled to start off with because as soon as I got on the simulator, I went into gaming mode. Yeah. yeah? And, and I had to readjust my brain to hey this is not about getting to the line as quick as you can this is about accuracy and promotion of safe driving habits breaking over a longer distance not slamming on the brakes and the car goes over the line it's actually giving you real life to a point feedback of what it's going to be like when you actually jump into the car yeah. and i think that leads us nicely into the second point that we want to do this is a starter program. This is a program to really boost your getting into the car before you get into the car. And, and they produced some pretty uh, good stats, didn't they, Ali, in regards yeah. to, to helping that early start? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, look, I, I, think, um, I think that, like, well, I think they said, like, you come out 85% more com competent and 17% yeah. less anxious yeah. compared to people that haven't done that program. I think... For me, the real big key is, is that confidence piece. When you're in general as a human, when you're confident in any activity, you tend to not get bogged down by any of the little things that come up, the little issues, you can the hurdles, you can tend to jump through them confidently because you know you're confident in this activity. And you know, well, any hurdles come along, I can just jump through them. And as mm -hmm. they were saying, you know, when you first drive, particularly people that have autism and, and some of these um, you know, disabilities, the confidence is not there and and already in in general in life you're going through life with 
questions around confidence, you know, around yeah. these kind of interactions. So, so this really helps to build that confidence in a secure manner, in a controlled manner. Yep. You know, like for example, again, side note, one of the things that we offer at um, Mobility Engineering is private space for you to trial products because it just makes you a bit more confident that you've just got your parents around and you don't have to have employees walking around. And, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's just like, it's, it's, that, it's about having that confidence of that environment. And I think that's what that does. It really increases that confidence. And then you can start just working on the competencies more than anything. Yeah. So it's a program that's designed for all 15 year olds, 16 year olds to help them boost their kickstart into, into driving in a safe way. But that's point number three that we want to bring you to now is relating it to disability. I can talk from firsthand experience. We've used it with multiple, multiple clients now to get them kick-started. And what we've found is that it's the clients with autism, especially, that have a sensory processing issue. So uh, struggle with the multi multiple senses that are in a car environment, speed, uh, moving objects, sounds. There's so many things going on at a, that need to be processed uh, at a sensory level that this helps people acclimatize to that. Even though they haven't got the rushing sound of a car or the noises and things like that, it allows them from a visual stimulation point of view to be able to get the sense of things moving towards them. They need to... you. The paddle shift on the simulator allows you to look left and, and, and right. Um, and that swings from side to side as like your head does. Um, and that's another thing that allows people to get used to these sensory feedbacks of, of swinging their head to the left and to the right. Um, you've got the noises. So they've got these artificial car noises as well. So there's, there's all kinds of things that allows people to get used to and build their sensory defensiveness uh, in a safe environment. So, yeah, look, there's there's so many things that are are great about, especially people with with autism, uh, but also ADHD was mentioned as well. But also the learning dis disabilities as well, intellectual disabilities. It creates a really great environment, especially for parents who are not sure if their kid's going to be able to drive. It's a wonderful area for them to be able to do that. You can do it at home. You don't have to do it with the OT, but if you need the OT to give a professional opinion, you know, the OT could then have a look at it in a safe environment too, right at the early stages. Yeah. And, and on the last point on that, like I mentioned, you know, the parents, you know, we, we, we have given a lot of love to parents over the episodes of this podcast. However, as a parent who owns the car, they can traditionally get stressed when you're sitting in the car and then they're not really clear their mind is not clear enough to judge properly whereas uh, so they might be under stress and going oh you're not a great driver and you shouldn't be driving whereas they might the same person watching the same thing in the simulation might go oh actually brad you're, you're doing pretty good there you know like oh, yeah you should go in the car so so again it's helping that build that confidence in a family profile as well so it's really good even if even if you crash the car in the simulator as in drive off course you're actually not going to crash the car it'll just come up with a red x that you're that you drove outside the lines yeah you can still start to look for the positive because the stress isn't there yeah, yeah? If, if you're driving outside the lines in a real car as yeah. a parent stress level is going to go through the roof going to erase your voice we're going to talk aggressively and then the motivation to be able to drive is probably going to decrease so um it is a it's a lovely safe environment 
to be able to, yeah, start off, kickstart um, the, the driving experience. And, and that's how we've utilized it at, at, uh, at our company um, to be able to, yeah, kickstart and, and really test it out. And like I said in the interview, there, there's times where it's highlighted that it's not a safe driving fit at the moment for this for certain clients. And, uh, and because of the simulator, we've been able to really test that out. Yeah, no, that's good. Sounds good. Well, yeah. I think that's it, folks. Um, and as we wind up this episode, we want to give a shout out to our sponsors, Mobility Engineering and Williams OT for helping us bring you the interview with Alex and Lisa. Lisa today. <laughs> yes, that's right. Alex and Lisa. There we go. Williams OT, Driver AX and Rehab is all pieces of the puzzle to assist people with disabilities reach their driving and community mobility and mobility goals. Mobility Engineering is a team of passionate and dedicated people focused on bringing Australia's largest range of suitable transport solutions for all walks of life. And if you'd like to be a sponsor of the show, know someone who we should interview or want to interview or just leave us a comment or want to consider something. Um, or just want to give us some love, uh, please email us at drivablepodcast at gmail.com or hit us up on our Facebook page or just search Drivable Podcast. We're on all the platforms. Just hit us up. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll find you and you'll find us. Um, and as we say in ep- every episode, the advice provided in this podcast is general in nature. And if you have any queries about what you can do and what will work for you, get in contact with your local OT or your mobility dealer and set yourself up with a trial. Trials really do put you in that driver's seat. So that's it, Brad. Thanks very much. Yeah, until next week. So thanks very much, everybody. And yeah, we hope you enjoyed this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Drive Able Podcast with Brad Williams and Aliak Barry. If you like what you've heard, make sure you like, rate and subscribe. It really does make a massive difference. If you or anyone you know would like to share a story about driving with a disability, or you would like to get in contact, find the show notes, or find the resources mentioned in this episode, you can find us on Facebook. Just search at Drive Able Podcast for more information.